the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. These are the words that our Lord said in the Gospel today. He cried out. And these are the words that I will use today. Because today I'll talk about money and possessions. Now I get cold sweats just thinking about it. <laughs> Who wants to hear a homily about money and about possessions? So I'll say again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, I haven't talked much about money because I've been afraid of misunderstandings. Often when a priest or a pastor is talking about money, it's because of some sort of fundraising campaign or some sort of stewardship drive or needing to meet a budget. So I've been apprehensive, but that was wrong. I realized that if I don't talk about money, then I don't really care about your salvation. St. Basil, St. John Chrysostom, and so many others had it right. So today I'll be so bold as to follow in their footsteps. To talk about money and possessions, we first must understand the aspect of need. When we think of those in need, we think of the, when we think of the poor or the sick, or perhaps we think of the needs of the church in terms of stewardship and budgeting. Remember the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, when Jesus sits on the judgment seat and separates the, sheeps, the sheep from the goats? His criterion is, what have we done for those in need? And we could read it in terms of meeting the needs of the needy, the hungry being fed, the thirsty given drink, the strangers given a home, the naked being clothed, the sick and the prisoners being visited. But what does our Lord say? He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. It is God who is receiving our beneficence. This is how we must understand every act of kindness, every mercy, every generosity. So now back to need. Does God need any of these things? Of course not. And we could go further. Do you think the poor or the sick or the hungry need your beneficence? No. God will provide for them as he sees fit for their salvation. They don't need you. Rather, you need them. Because God in his love for us has given us these situations where we can offer to others. Why? So that we can become like God. This is the criterion for salvation, how much we are like God. When we give, we experience a change in our own heart. And the more we give, the more we experience that change. We become more and more like God. So let's clear up a big misunderstanding. The misunderstanding is this, that the church needs your money. Let me be clear, the church does not need your money. Yes, I'm saying this on the day of our fall general assembly, where the next budget would be presented. 
But I will say again, the church does not need your money. You see, the church is a divine human organism, a synergy between mankind and God, like the God-man himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. As it manifests itself within the world, there are finite church buildings and lands and communities, but these are all part of the one divine human organism. The church does not need your money because God does not need your money or your possessions. This may seem very obvious, but it tends to get obscured in the midst of all of God's teachings about money and giving. To understand the Christian view towards money and God, look at the whole burnt offerings in the Old Testament. Whenever a whole burnt offering was made, what happened? Someone gave the best of what they had, it was slaughtered and burned. Or another way to put it, it was wasted. No one benefited. To give a parallel to this, imagine that each of you brought your stewardship offering as cash, the entire year's worth of cash. The offering were then collected in a huge basket here on the Soleil. We put all of the cash in the basket, and then we lit it on fire. That's what the whole burnt offering is. And this, doesn't, and this is how we should view our offering to God. He doesn't need it. His church, this very organ of his in the world, doesn't need it. This is how we should view what we give to the church. Have I made the point clear with that image? So if God doesn't need our offering, why do we offer? And why does he enjoin us to make an offering? Because it is through our giving that we become like him. Look at the widow in the temple. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings to, for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. The widow's mites meant absolutely nothing to the treasury of the temple. Nothing. Her offering was peanuts compared to what else was put in in that same day. Like the whole burnt offerings of the Old Testament, her gift had almost no real effect, no real benefit. Yet Jesus said that she gave more than all the others combined. How are her two coins more than all the other many coins? Because it isn't about the dollar amount or the quantity of gifts given. It is about the quantity of trust in God in our hearts. The widow entrusted her very livelihood to God, while others entrusted little or nothing to God's providence, while they were putting large sums of money into the treasury. She was irrational in a worldly sense, the same worldly thinking that we so often get entangled in. She did an illogical thing, giving all of her livelihood to the temple when the temple has no need for her meager offering. When we entrust to God, incredible things come from what we entrust. Tomorrow we'll celebrate the feast day of the presentation to the Theotokos. And Joachim and Anna offered a big offering, their own daughter, to the temple. But what came of that? Something profoundly bigger than we could ever imagine. Yes, one child was offered dedicated to the temple. 
and how many others were offered. But this, because this was their longed for child, that decades upon decades, they waited and waited for a child. This offering was a profound act of trust. And God multiplied that to such a great extent that here she is with us because she's the mother of God. Recall the illogical words of Yorondosa Marquella at Life-Giving Spring in California. I mentioned this in a homily a few weeks ago. She was trying to give a little blessing to someone and the person said, no, no, you keep it. It'll be more useful for you. And she pointed to all the buildings around. She said, look at all this. We have all of this because we give away everything. She didn't say because we give away a good amount or because we try to be good stewards with what God has given us. Because we give away everything. The widow in the temple or Yoronda Samarkala, these are icons of how we can give, or rather the metrics of our giving. Our measurement is this. How much trust in God does the giving produce? Again, how much trust in God does the giving produce? Or another way to put it, does this stretch me? Does it hurt at least a little bit? By this definition, our giving should always defy logic, at least a little bit. If it doesn't defy our own logic a little, then it doesn't place our trust in God. And this, this metric is not just about money, nor is it about what we give to the church. This is all much broader than those specific categories. It's everything that we give, everywhere that we give. Let me give another example of logical and illogical giving. Giving that does not require any trust in God and the kind of giving that throws us headlong into his providence. So the one example I'll give, myself. Let's say there's someone who needs some blankets. I can go into my closet, I can get out all the extra blankets I have, I might be generous and give them like a dozen blankets because we probably have that many around the house that we could give. And I could give those blankets to someone, and I could feel good about that. Jesse Brandau, the missionary to Guatemala, came and spoke with us yesterday. He spoke about another kind of blanket that was given. Where his wife is from in rural Mayan country, northern Guatemala, the people are incredibly poor. And there was a family that his wife knew of that was, like many of the families, incredibly poor. Their house was one room with wooden slats and, and a corrugated tin roof or steel roof. And this family was so poor, they had uh, sons and daughters. I don't remember exactly how many, but they had. And, and this is up in the mountains, so it gets cold up here. They had in their possession three blankets. One blanket for mom and dad, one blanket for the girls, and one blanket for the boys. This is all they had of blankets. And a family who lost their home due to some circumstances came to them asking for assistance. And you know what that family did? They gave a blanket. They gave a blanket. It defies any logic. Yes, that means that mom and dad were uncovered in the cold 
with wind blowing through the slats in their walls. It's a very different kind of giving than me and my dozen blankets giving to someone in need. Giving from our own poverty has far greater benefit than giving from our abundance. This is the lesson of the widow. And this does not only apply to money or blankets. After all, do you know what the most highly prized possession is in our modern era? Time. Time. We're all crushed beneath the competing needs for time in our lives. We crave a free moment, an unhurried afternoon, a day with more, without constraints piled on. So how can I entrust my time to God? What situations does our loving Lord present to us where we can give of our time? The time that we feel that is in such short supply. And when someone comes along who needs our time, will we give it? Even beyond the giving of our time, there are other ways that our Heavenly Father invites us to give. Can we offer patience to a person who has just pushed our limit? Can we forgive even that thing that is so offensive? Can we be compassionate toward the one who needs empathy for the 50th time? God will give us the situations. Our response is to offer back those things that he has already entrusted to us. This brings us to the gospel reading today. The man who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. He's the fool, as the gospel says. He's a fool because he's not rich toward God. And of course, the question would be, well, does God need our richness? Of course, God doesn't need any richness from us. But in that we are rich toward God through the circumstances of those who come to us, that richness towards God is a counterbalance to laying up treasures for ourselves. In the epistle today, it said that God is rich in mercy and that he has immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. Remember the criterion for our salvation? How much are we like God? Are we rich in mercy? Do we have immeasurable riches of kindness towards others? These are the qualities of God. So I'll leave you with some practical points. The first is stretching is good. Find ways to stretch yourself. Whether it's with what you give to those in need, to the church, of your time, of your energy, just stretch. I'm not saying take huge leaps and throw everything in. Just stretch a little bit. And that stretching needs to keep happening. Because as we stretch, guess what? That'll become easier. So we need to stretch some more. And you see what happens then is God is expanding us. It becomes a dynamic relationship between us and God. I know of someone who decided that they were going to use cash to pay for their things. And you know what happened very soon after this person started using cash? This person was driving their child to a, a summer camp every week in the summer every single week, on the way there and on the way back, she came to the same intersection where there were people needing money. And now she had $20 bills. But these were the money that she was setting aside so that she could 
pay for the groceries and these things with cash. And now she had the cash. You see, God provides us the situations. And so this is the second thing. After stretching, keep your eyes open. Or in the words of the gospel, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as much as we listen, and as much as we see, God will provide us the situations. God wants to transform you. He will help you loosen your grip on your time, on your possessions. He will expand you. He'll provide the circumstances for this. You just have to have your eyes open and your ears available. The last, as a side note, is, is what I've said the medicine for everyone? Yes and no. There are some of you out there where you already feel very distinctly the ways in which you're being expanded almost beyond your ability. And I think of this as classically mothers with small children. But this can be any of us. I don't know all of your circumstances. So if the words that I've said, you already feel that stretching, and now my words are stretching you even more, don't listen to the words. You already have that voice inside of you. Listen to the voice inside of you. And maybe sometimes it's a little bit of a temptation to stretch you beyond where you can go. So my words aren't for everyone. It depends on the time and the circumstances of your life. We know the man in the gospel is a fool and we don't want to recognize ourselves in him. But we have been given this gospel this day, every year around the same time, because we have to see how in my life am I like that? So may God give us the strength to stretch ourselves, to remember that we don't give to those in need. We give because we're the ones that are in need. And that we may remember to keep our eyes open and our ears open so that God can transform us. Amen.